welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 57, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg, featuring Major League Rugby Player of the Week, Sam Malcolm of the Toronto Arrows. Hello, folks, and welcome to the MLR Kickoff podcast. Dan Powell with you alongside Pete Steinberg. And uh, I change your nickname almost every week we've done a game, Pete. You've gone from the uh, national champion, most winningest coach to the super coach, the professor. And what do you like, mate? What do you want to be called? Oh, I think just Pete works for me. <clears throat> I'll let my, uh, my analysis speak for itself. I don't need any, any big titles. Um, and for those of you listening in, when we sign in to record our podcast, um, Daniel calls... Daniel, Daniel, I'm in trouble. Daniel, yes, mum. You you call yourself Panther. So where does that come from? It comes from a sevens camp where I had an affinity with the colour pink, and I was rooming with Kevin Swiran at the time, who I think was a little concerned that uh, that we were going to become more than roommates. But uh, so it was the Pink Panther that got shortened to the Panther, and. And uh, yeah, I don't know, just put it up there because I felt like it. You know, it's one of those things that nicknames um, in rugby and my experience is Australians are the most um, prolific nickname um, makers. Like there's, there's not an Australian rugby player that you meet that goes by his real name. No, I had a, I had a good one in my early years, Pete, and it, was, it sounded cool on the outside. It was, uh, I went by Damage. And everyone was like, oh, that's like, you know, great name. But the, the name came from the fact that I went through a spell of about six months where I couldn't get healthy. I did my AC <laughs> joint and then I did my other AC joint during my fitness test for the left AC joint. I did my right AC joint. Oh, man. And they're like, dude, you just, you're just damaged. Everywhere you go is damaged. Just none of it's on the field. And uh, so that's how it stuck. But when I went to France, they picked up on it and they, they loved it. And uh, I didn't have the heart to tell them that the, the story wasn't as cool as the name. But yeah, <laughs> the Australians, they love a nickname. But, mate, let's talk uh, MLR because it was a big weekend and we saw one less team remain undefeated as Atlanta lost their undefeated tag. They dropped a 2-1. and one. But overall, probably the best week we've had of MLR. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think we're getting out of preseason. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, Dan. For me, you need four preseason games. And most teams had two. And so what we're seeing is actually just the natural improvement of play when teams play together more. And so I agree with you. I thought it was um, better quality play than we've had um, and also some very competitive games. Yeah, we did have some close games as you look through the scores here. I think the biggest differential, and this is probably the most surprising, was Toronto over Seattle, uh, running away 22-point winners in that one. So not what you would expect out of that one, but everyone else within two points, one point, uh, I think nine points, and then the draw. We'll get into that, though. But to kick things off, mate, we're right here in Colorado where you and I live, and the Raptors looking to turn their fortunes around after starting the season 0-2. Can't get it done against Nola Gold. They end up going down 27-20. A chance to tie things up at the end, Pete. We were watching a forward pass Cost them a chance to tie the game. They now drop to 0 and 3. You're not hitting the panic button, but how close is your hand to that button right now in Colorado? Well, I mean, you know, if you look at the game, Nola Gold, you know, raced out, I think it was a 14 nothing lead in the first like 10 minutes. And you were like, man, this is going to be a route. And where's this Colorado team? But they showed a lot of character to come back 
to be able to, um, you know, to come back and be able to play. I don't think there's a panic button for any teams. I mean, you know, let's let in the West in particular, there are very few, you know, other than San Diego, it's, you know, there's still anyone in the West can make the playoffs. So I don't think it's about that. I think that, you know, they, they need to get healthy. Um, and you, the interesting thing for me about this game, there's a couple of interesting things about how the game went. Um, I think that the Colorado defense stepped up. I think Nola still have some issues in generating go forward. Um, but the interesting thing for me is that both teams didn't empty the benches. So this is where we talk about depth, right? And there's injuries on both the Raptors and Nola Gold. And so there were two players on the Raptors that didn't get onto the field. And there were three backs, all three backs didn't end up getting on the field for NOLA. And that tells you something about the depth. You know, both of these teams have injuries. They both have quality players. And I have to say that, you know, as we talk about the reserves, I thought, you know, bringing, I thought when Pete Borlase brought on Adam Malifa, I mean, that guy just plays so close to the line. He's such a great player. He generates such go forward. You know, you've got to be wondering about whether you end up bringing him on a little bit earlier. I think they went through that battle last year, Pete. Um... And I really think the Raptors are a better side with Adam Ali for 10, even, even at his uh, ripe old age now. I don't think there's anyone in the league quite as magical at the line as Adam Ali for ball in two hands. He shows inside, outside. He's still got that step. He may not be able to finish like he used to 10 years ago, but he's still got the step and he's still very creative. And really when he came on and played those 35 minutes in the second half, they, that was the catalyst for their comeback. And almost... You know, if that pass is, is deemed flat, not forward, he almost ties the game up for them at the end there. Yeah, and let's, and let's have a good shout-out to the referee here because that's one of those things when, um, you know, you have um, Lex Weiner, he's right there. And you look at it and you're like, was it forward? And, you know, the camera work was pretty good. You could see, yeah, that was a forward pass. It's one of those things that's really hard to do to get, you know, to break through that broken defence and be able to kind of shoot that hole and get that timing right because the runner is running to get the ball before you go through the hole. And so it was just um, a little bit a little bit of a challenge. And I think for Nola, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling a little bit with, with in injuries and they lost um, Dottie after 13 minutes. And he's been a big, big player for them. Um, and I think that losing him affected the way their forwards work. They had to shuffle around a little bit. Um, and you know, I think that uh, Nola will be happy going right now. I think this is right. I think it's only the second time in Major League Rugby history that Colorado has lost at um, Infinity Park. So it's, I think Seattle I, last year, right? Yeah, Seattle, Seattle last year. Yep. And um, and then and then Nola this year. So you know, even though I think that um, Nate Osborne will be disappointed with the performance and maybe the score at the end. Anyone should be happy leaving Infinity Park having beaten the Raptors. And, and the Raptors gave themselves... I mean, Nola's a good team, right? I mean, Nola's a team that's going to be up for the playoffs. And I think looking at the West, the Raptors should leave this game saying, hey, if we get healthy, we can compete with these other teams in the West. Maybe not San Diego yet, but none of the other teams have really put their hand up. I agree. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Carl Meyer as well. There was uh, concerns about the departure of Tristan Blewett down there in New Orleans. Such a, an important part of that side last year, a real meter eater. But Carl Meyer, uh, he's been outstanding from fullback, nine touches for 118 meters. To think what he's going to be capable of when he finally gets to jump into that 13 jersey. Feel yeah, that's where he home. needs to be. 
Yeah, mate, he's, his touches are all class and he's got a big, big boot. And again, the territory game for Nola proving to be an issue as they have troubles clearing kicks. And we'll talk about another team struggling with that later, but you know that they lost the territory battle again. That cost them against Atlanta and they were able to sneak away with this one. But you know, Colorado enjoying 55% of the territory but still losing the game. That's something that Nate Osborne and the coaching staff down there are going to have to address here because there's better sides that get that much territory. You're probably not going to let Nola get away with putting on 27 points. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true. I think for Colorado, you know, the old Warhorse Luke White had a great game. 10 ball carries. He's such an important player for them. Um, punches holes through. But, you know, the big thing for me is he had um, 12 tackles, only one missed. So he's the leading tackler from Locke, which is which is pretty pretty impressive. So I thought Luke White did well. I think I think the pack is going to be pretty good. I think that they're missing a little bit of sort of the nows of some of the old guys, like like Peter Dahl in the back row was so good at the breakdown. I think they've lost a little bit of that. There's been a lot of turnover, but the pack is you know the the, the pack is, is is good and and um, you know I think it's about finding out what the best combinations are in the back for Colorado. Um, but I wouldn't be too disheartened. You know, there's a lot to play for still in that Western Conference. No, I agree with you. Just three games in and the West still wide open, as you said. All right, mate, let's move on to the most exciting game of the week. Just kidding. It was my Gilgroniacs, the Austin Gilgronies. I think someone put on they snapped an 18 or 19 game losing skid to have a tie here with Utah. They had the game one, Pete, and then you had to hit refresh and Utah scored. You know, if you just had left the screen... I would have had a couple of hours of thinking Michael Groniak's had won a game, uh, but instead they ended up giving up a draw at the end there to the Utah Warriors, 20-20 to 20 down in Austin. But a big turnaround for Austin down there, Pete. They're starting to look a little bit stronger as some troops start coming in. Oh, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, I just want to say I love Rodrigo Silva. I love him playing at fullback. I think that's a, a big, a big win for them. And of course, you know, Frank Halai, the, uh, um, you know, he, he had one cap for the All Blacks. So you could say, well, it was a disappointing sort of international career, but to even get that one cap against Japan, um, this guy was good. And he was just, when he came on, he was really a force. So this is a game, interestingly, that um, the, uh, like Austin walk away, you know, you would think that this is a team that struggled. They, they weren't very, you know, they didn't win a game last year. They, they struggled early this year. You know, you coming up against Utah, you might say, well, this is a team that like probably pulled this off at the end, but actually Austin had the ball. There was a few minutes to go. They were up seven. And I know that there was some controversy about kicking that ball away, which gave Utah the opportunity to win the game. I mean, sorry to tie the game, but you know, this is one of these um, things where, you know, I'll, Austin were, were the, you know, I think the better team for most of the game. But Utah were able to just hang in there. And they hung in there and they hung in there. And, you know, um, the kicking of uh, Shorty that, you know, really helped them out. And, you know, they were able to pull it off in the end. It was, you know, I think Austin will walk away from this very, very disappointed. I agree. I agree. But I know you're uh, really big on social media. media. There's a photo that went up today from Roland Sunyula with uh, Tamati Ellison, who has four catches for the All Black. He's a bit of a utility black back, plays a little bit of everywhere. But uh, in Austin, unannounced the signing, but 
hey, could be some more troops there. I believe he actually got a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games for New Zealand back in the day in sevens too. I don't know if it was 06 or 02. I think it was 06. But uh, more troops coming in for the Gilgronies. And, and I guess in the West, right, where, where no one, you know, you've got San Diego, but everyone else is, 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 is still in there. I think it's really, like, I think it's very, very interesting. But, you know, the fact that Austin were even in this game when they were basically penalized off the park, they had a yellow card and 17 penalties. I mean, 17 penalties is what you would look at. You know, that would be a good score for, like, the whole game for both teams. But to have 17 penalties, you know, but they were able to to just keep it close enough to be able to play the game. I mean, it was it was it was exciting, and and you know, um, I think that this Dominic Aquina playing him at six is is is, is interesting. Um, you know, they partnered him with um, Mo Abdulmonim, you know, who's a great breakdown guy, um, but also was like like had fourteen tackles in this game. Really, you know, they're. they're They've got some players here, and I think you know um, Brett, Brent Simmons is doing a good job. And as those players come in, they'll really be able to make a difference. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk a little Warriors, mate. What went wrong from the Warriors side in Vegas that turned around and and you know beat the Free Jacks? And looking back, a few key players missing for New England in that game. But to steal a quote from Dennis Green, the great Arizona Cardinals coach. Are the Warriors who we thought they were? Should we? Should, how do we feel about the Warriors after a win, a loss, and a draw? Well, I think um, you know what was the problem last year, Dan. Whenever you picked the Warriors, they lost, and whenever you didn't pick them, they they won. I right? picked Austin, but, and they drew. I'm so confused. <laughs> no, no, no. But last year, right? So if we think about Utah, Utah would have a really good performance, and we'd be on the podcast, and we'd be like, man. These guys are really good. We're definitely going to pick them to win, and then they would play poorly. So I think, I think this is a um, a team that's looking for a bit of an identity. I think it's a team that um, is still learning what they want Chris Latham to do. Um, they've got some really, really good, um, some really good players. So you know, they've they've had a bit of a turnover, right? Um, you know, Hagen Shorty, I think, is going to is a is a really good player. Um, Bailey Wilson, the flanker, you know, another good player, real defensive, um, you know, defensive player and, and really active. And I think um, uh, Van Vuren, who's, who's their number eight. I mean, this, these are all players that are, that are new to the team. So you're going to expect a little bit of, um, of some, some time to kind of work out exactly how this team's going to play together. So I think what we're seeing is we're seeing um, players or teams kind of work these new players in. The other thing that I think is interesting is that they had a number of players like Jared Whippy on the bench um, that you would think would be a starter. So I think what we're seeing this early in the season is there's already some rotations going on, right? Yeah. And, and yep. they're, trying to, they're trying to rest players. I don't know if Whippy was carrying an injury. If he's carrying an injury, you don't want to put him on the bench, right? But like, I'm wondering if, if, if we're already seeing um, some of that stuff. But I think, I think for, for Utah, it's just about getting that consistency of playing together because they're a huge amount of turnover. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, it'll be interesting to watch the next couple of weeks if the Gilgronies trend up and what the Warriors can do. All right, people, we'll stay in Texas. Over to Houston now. Old Glory, 22. Sabercats, 13. 
And, uh, you know, to steal one of those great memes, it's like Pete Steinberg, you need a scrum to win an MLR. Oh, glory, hold my beer, Pete, because <laughs> they still can't win a scrum, but they keep winning games. It's, uh, it's going against everything. Is there a glitch in the matrix, Pete? What's going on? Well, I mean, I like this is, this is, I mean, this, this is actually a matchup of, of what I think it's some of the best halfback pairings. So I thought, um, you know, uh, um, Roos and Windsor on Houston and um, Tusi Tala and, and Robertson on, on Glory. And I thought that, um, you know, I love watching both of those guys play, but I really like Robertson. I think he's a, he's a great player and he was able to get old Glory going forward. And, you know, to me, they have, you know, potentially one of the best back rows in the league. I mean, Mungo Mason you know, is the former, um, you know, Scotland sevens guy. This guy is having, already having a season. Um, and, you know, when you partner him with um, Fernando Schultz and, and Matt Houston, you know, you've, you've got a really, really good back row. So I, I think that scrum's going to come about. Like, we know that they've got some injuries. They've got some challenges there. Um, but I think that their scrum's going to come about. And then I think they're like, you know, six through 10 is, is really, really good. And I think it's that, that six through 10, the, the back row and, and the halfback pairing that allow them to control the games once that falls out. And, and I think this is like one of those things where if you look at the stats, you know, they won, you know, it says they won um, 80% of their scrum. Now, like it was messy and there was a bunch of penalties right, that were called in the scrum. Um, Derek Summers called a bunch of penalties, like mostly against Old Glory. And I think that that hurt them. Um, but, you know, once they get that ball and once they get out there, they're playing some really, really good stuff. And they've got guys that can play in the open field. So it's like, get it in, get it out, and, and then let's play. One of the things I found interesting, Pete, out of this game is where Houston were sending their attack, where they were sending their runners. And I don't know if this was... Uh, Coach Healy's kind of plan because you mentioned how dynamic those halves pairings are. But Robinson and Tusi Tyler combined for 24 tackles on the whole game. And they come in second and third behind Fullerton as the leading tacklers for Old Glory. But is that part of the reasoning behind not being able to score points because those guys defended so well? I mean, Robinson yeah. didn't miss a tackle all night. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the thing about Rob, Robertson is you look at him and he's 5'7". And, and I think that, you know, when you've got a nine like Roos, like you can play in, into that hinge, right? And, and, and you can look at them. I, I still think that the challenge that I have for Houston is I still think that they um, play a little bit um, too deep for my liking. So the game line, I mean, they, they were over the game line um, 53%, but they lost the game line 30%. So that basically tells you that, you know, they, they want to get over the game line out wide and they'll give up some of that space, but I don't think that that really works for them. I, I still think I would love to see Stamps, um, Sam Windsor play a little bit flatter, get them over the game line so they don't lose the game line as much and then open up those backs. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a preference, right, as a coach um, about what's important. I think, you know, Healy's looking to open up his outside backs by using his forwards to suck in some players. But I think that, you know, I would, uh, I would play it a little bit flatter. So I think that, you know, even though they had, um, you know, most of the possession and most of the territory, um, 
I think that they, their attack isn't as potent as it could be. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think that'll come. Like you said, the preseason feel is starting to slowly lift from these sides and they're starting to find their shape and their, their form a little bit more. And hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll see that from something, especially in the West, because I think we've already said it three times during this show. It's just so wide open. Wouldn't have picked that coming yeah. into the season. I really thought the East would have been a little bit more unsettled with the three new teams. But man, the East are playing great. And the West is just like no one wants to play in the playoffs. I mean, I think it's eight and two. I think yeah. the East is one eight and the West is one two. And yeah, Aaron Castro yeah. sent us that stat on, uh, I think, Sunday. Yeah. Think eight and two. And San Diego, you know, account for one of those wins in the next game we're going to talk about. And Utah, the other one. So the Free Jacks, both losses coming out of the East against the West. So, yeah, take out New... Oh, I'm not going to say it. They're just so active on social media and those New Englanders, they're going to come after me. <laughs> but that's, uh, let's talk San Diego, New England. Uh, much closer than I think a lot of people would have thought this game would have been. I'll put that down to the toughness and the grit of New England, who were pretty depleted injury-wise again. And maybe, maybe just a hint of complacency from San Diego after they cruised out to a pretty healthy lead early on against uh, New England. Pete, give me your initial thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I, it's, it, I think that if you're Rob Hoadley and you're the coach of the Legion, you, you get after them about kind of how they took their foot off the gas, right? It was actually, um, you know, uh, the Free Jacks, I think, what they, like, they got to 21-20, I think, right? Then they, like, put away mm-hmm. in the second half. Yep, yep. And, um, and everyone's like, what's going on? And then the Legion said, uh-uh. And then, you know, they got a penalty and a try pretty quickly. A really nice try with um, uh, Sam Wuching. And I think that it shows, like, for me, one of the really um, interesting uh, developments for San Diego is the, um, the play of Luke Burton, right? So, so you know, um, J.P. Peterson, the fly half last year, one of the best players in the league. And they brought in Luke Burton and he... He's a really great game manager. So you look at his, um, uh, you know, his stats, they're not great. He had four, um, four ball carries, right? He had, um, you know, four tackles. So you look at the stats, not hugely involved, but when you look at him play, he, he's able to manage that game. He puts players into that space. And that pass for Wuching, I just think, is just beautiful. If you go back and look at it, it's that fly half, putting the ball into the hole. So the flanker can run onto it and, you know, leads to um, like a nice try by Ferris following up. And of course, you know, the loss of Nate Osberg, it's going to be hopefully Nate's, you know, nothing, nothing's too bad and, and that he's going to come back. But that's, that's probably the one area that you would say, um, you know, said, you know, or maybe not the one area, but certainly an area that you would say that if they lost um, Nate, not sure that they've got a huge amount of depth there at scrum, at scrum half. Yeah, and that was kind of where the wheels came off a little bit, an unexpected change. I thought Dev Ferris had a really good game once he got into the flow of the game. But up until that point, San Diego were really dominating that contest. I think the, the two Fijian wingers that had a try apiece, uh, Toto Vassau and Patterson at that point, and then things got a little disjointed after that. So let me ask you this, Pete. We'll, we'll kind of diverge a little bit off. If Nate's injury is a long-term injury, what do you do at nine? Do you just say, hey, Dev, this is your team now, you run with it? Or do you risk, say, bringing a, a Joe Peterson and saying, listen, Joe, we want you to play nine in offense, maybe slip back to fullback in, in defense, but 
Uh, or do you just look for another nine? I don't know who they've got on that depth chart behind there because remember um, Nick Boyer is now in Colorado, who was a pretty yeah. I mean, that was the. I would like. I would like to say that Nate was out with the boys at the beach today. Oh, so he's playing this week. It was all. <laughs> well, I mean, you you don't know. You don't know. I, I think it's. I think it's interesting. Look, I mean, no team. In, ma- in Major League Rugby has three quality scrum halves, right? You just don't have that. What, what you'll have is have two scrum halves, and if you're lucky, you've got a young local guy that can play a little bit. Um, yeah, the same, and we'll talk about this with Seattle, the same way no one has like three top quality fly halves. And so when you, when you get the injury bug, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I think that Nate, I think um, Deb Ferris behind that pack will be fine. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a good quality um, scrum I think the challenge is that he wouldn't have had as many reps as Nate, right? And the way that they play and the speed that they play, it's not easy. Like as a scrum half, the way that they play is you can't wait for the call. You've got to know where it's going before you get there um, because they play such a fast game. And so I think that, um, you know, you give Dev Ferris a week of training and I think he'll be fine. I think there is a question about what happens after that. And, you know, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I guess well, you would you would think he's going to miss at least a week just from the. I know he's on the beach with the boys. I got to work on my Instagram game. I'm not doing well enough for the show, um, but you would think in the nature if they took him off, he'd still just give him a week to to heal, or he'll be pretty uh, pretty limited. But uh, yeah, still a good problem to have. You're undefeated, and you got Dev Ferris as, a, as your backup, who's a really really handy player. So, and, and I, I want to. I think. You know, we, we talked about what happened in the game, and I think one of the um, one of the challenges when you play San Diego is the um, is the physicality of their forwards and, and how strong their forwards run. And I thought that the Free Jacks forwards defended um, really really well. Um, you know, I, I think that um, you know Donald Brighouse at, at, at tight head had a really good game, and in particular made you know eight tackles. Um, and uh, no misses. In fact, both props for the Free Jacks were really active around the field, and I thought I thought that was good. Um, you know, Dewey, who's their who's their number eight, had fourteen. Ta- you know, you look at it and you can see the you know all of their double digit tacklers are in their forwards, and I think the ability for them to kind of make those positive tackles um, was was important. All right, get your propeller hat out, Pete. It's time for you to get nerdy. You ready? Okay. Well, you. This yeah, is this I'm, is kind I'm, of your. This is your thing. It's a team of the week. This week was uh, Rooney, the the mighty Roosters, uh, the blue and orange boosters from New York, um, over Atlanta. They go down there, and I picked Atlanta to win this. I thought that defense was going to be too good. I was wrong, but New York. I think you picked New York too. Well done, Pete. You're killing me. <laughs> where did things go wrong for Atlanta, and where did they go right for New York in this one? So this is this was a, a pretty interesting one. You know, we we got really nerdy about the Atlanta defense, and, and one of the things that Atlanta did against um, against Nola was that they created these positive tackles. And you know, I've talked about this guy a, a lot, but Ross Deacon, I think, is a big loss from Rooney. I mean, he's like a glue player. Um, played really, really well in the first game, and then um, Johannes um, Momsen was another back row forward that played really well in the first couple of games for Atlanta, particularly in that NOLA game. And they were on the bench. 
which I thought was a, a, a real interesting decision by Scott Lawrence. Now, knowing Scott, he's probably gone around, got all the data about injuries and players and this, this length, you know, 16-game seasons and all this sort of stuff and has worked out exactly, like, how many minutes a back row forward could, could play. Um, but it, it felt like Scott was making some decisions here for the long term, right? And for, um, like, looking ahead, because they also brought off Kirk Coleman Coleman at 64 minutes. They played 80 minutes the first two games. And so I felt like there were some decisions here where um, Scott may have been, you know, thinking about sort of making sure, like managing players through the season. But this was a really good game. I mean, the ball was in play for almost 40 minutes. And I think it had, had the most ball in play. Like both teams had over 150 tackles. Um, they both defended pretty well, right? Over 85%. I think that, um, but, I, but I think the challenge for, um, Atlanta is that when they lose a couple of their back row forwards, like the thing about their defense is that they have to go forward and they have to make positive tackles. And if you have a couple of guys that aren't doing that, then the defense just doesn't work. But I thought that the, um, like, you know, Rooney came in and played the game that you thought they would play. I mean, Kaho Marsh is, um, Marsh is a great player and was able to sort of manage the, the, uh, um, the game I thought pretty well they uh you know um were able to generate a lot of fastball which is what Nola wasn't able to do um and I think that you know they they had it it was it was interesting because the Atlanta scrum was 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 really good um and but their line out was like a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. So there was lots of, I mean, it was just a really, really interesting game. It was a close game. I mean, Atlanta, it was, it was 19-22. You thought that when um, the back row forwards came on and you had Momsen and, and Deacon come on for, uh, um, for Atlanta, like they picked up, I think they scored, um, I think Momsen scored immediately and you were like, okay, now it's all going to be like, they're going to they're gonna go for it. But um, New York were able to manage it and manage that game and be able to um, uh, and be able to uh, to finish this game. And I, I want to say that, like we've talked about, um, you know, uh, um, Bastero, and there's I know there's been a, a lot of questions about his about his fitness, but this guy, I mean, this guy had a great game. I mean, he had 15 ball carries, and he had let me let, let me look. He had 18 tackles made. I mean, he missed one tackle. I mean, that's 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 a guy that's like putting in the work rate. And so I thought I thought that was interesting. And then finally, I think what Rooney did, which is what you have to do against Atlanta, is I thought they were excellent off that first phase. So again, the way you you limit that defense, and so they got four line breaks off first phase, which is a lot. An example is that um, Atlanta got the zero. Right, actually getting line breaks off first phase are really tough. But once you get those line breaks off that first phase, that defense can't set. And I thought, you know, the uh, the outside backs in particular, I thought that um, Rooney used them really well to be able to get those line breaks. Pete, I don't want to get you in trouble in Atlanta because I think you have to do a game there later in the year. But if anyone listens to this show, the blueprint you, you laid out last week to beat Atlanta is exactly what Rooney did. So to stop that line launching, you got to punch some holes in the middle to get them on the back foot so they can't launch, they can't slow you down. Bastero, 
big body, 15 carries, 109 meters, does exactly that. Then the second thing you said is you cannot play direct with them. You have to play a little bit out the back, try to get those defenders to turn in with options out the back to play. And what do they do? They have two wingers that go for over 200 meters. Wallace Sims for 94, O'Keefe for 110. If you're a winger on the East and you're playing against Atlanta, and they'll make adjustments, I'm sure, but you're licking your chops. Yeah, I mean, a good 10 that can play with some misdirection at the line, you're licking your chops because you're going to have a lot of open space in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I thought that there was a, um, uh, I, you know, I thought Rooney were coming into form, right? This was, you know, and, and it, like I said, it's like preseason, right? And you've got a new coach with new players and he's learning, learning stuff about them. I thought, you know, Charlie Hewitt had a, had a you know, a new, Signing had a big game. It's really helping them in the uh, um, uh, in the um, in, in the lock. And he's partnered with um, Nate Brakeley. And let me just look. I want to talk about um, Nate Brakeley's uh, involvement. So let me let me have a look. So two ball carries, seven seven meters. Not that big a deal, right? Nineteen made tackles. So he's your leading tackler. Um, one more than um, Bastero, and he missed one. 50 attacking Rockmore arrivals, more than double than anyone else. And then 10 defensive Rockmore arrivals, which is a tie with, with Sumption. Now, now, like, there's a piece of me that when I see that 50, which is such a ridiculous number, I mean, I think he had 40 last week, that I'm like, Nate, stop working so hard. <laughs> like that's that's too many like like in the modern game right yeah. you shouldn't be in every ruck now do, now, yeah this, do you actually need to be there are you contributing right. positively yeah right right and 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 you know there's other measures that you have which is sort of like first two two players to the ruck which is probably what you want to measure and and then the other thing that, that, that's interesting is to think about like in your structure right how often and i think i think this is a bit of a product right you look at all the ruck entries that exist like if, if you look at the ruck entries like the, the forwards put in so much work for rooney in attack like they use their forwards just like you said dan to like kind of like bash down the door before they let before they let it go wide right there's just not a lot of ball carriers um ball carries for the backs and so it's just you know but that but really like 50 like, I'd like to know how many of those are useful, but man, what a, what a, what a work rate. I mean, you know, and, and thoroughly deserved to be um, on the team of the week, which I think he is. I, I think I looked, I think I saw him. If he isn't, it's a travesty. But Basta or Brakely? Um, Brakely. No, he should be, he should be first person picked every week in Steinberg's team of the week. <laughs> yeah, have you got a man crush? Is, it, is this he, official? He is there. He is there and so is Basta. But remember last year when a different player from New York was player of the week and, and Pete destroyed me over. <laughs> because, because like Nate doesn't carry the ball much, but his work rate is so high. He's gotcha. like one of those guys that coaches love those guys because they do all the work. Like his work rate is what allows someone like Bastero to be able to carry the ball the way he does. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, there's no more fighting between you two. Everyone shake hands and let's move on because we've got Seattle and Toronto. The Arrows, a little bit of vengeance for the semifinal last year. 
as they go into Seattle, into Starfire, and go 39-17. I think that's the second loss ever for them there. I think Colorado beat them year one. And now Toronto beat them uh, No, they three. lost last year too. Who beat them in at San Starfire? Diego. Oh, San Diego. What am I doing? I'm sorry, Rob Hoadley. I'm so sorry. Um, embarrassing. It is. It is for everyone. I'm actually bringing you two down with me now, and I apologize. But let's talk about this match quickly and forget about my uh, indiscretions. It was a good game from Toronto. The, the Probably the, the best performance I've seen in controlling territory, recognizing a weakness in a team, and that's Seattle's ability to clear the ball out of their own 22 using the foot and uh, turning the screws on that just brilliantly. It, it was a great game to call, Pete. Uh, not a lot of tries, but I just enjoyed the beauty of what Toronto did up there. Well, I thought the first half, I mean, the first half was just a great game of rugby. And, and you know um, a rugby game is good when there's momentum. And so, you know, Toronto kicked off for about the first 15 minutes. They were dominant, but they only got three points. Like they, they were in the um, uh, Seattle 22 for long periods of time. Seattle couldn't get out of their half. But then a couple of penalties, and all of a sudden Seattle's in Toronto's half. And in Toronto's 22 and Seattle, I mean, it was just a great game. I think it was 13-10 um, to Toronto at halftime. And it was just like so great to see that momentum. I thought that was a really, really good game. And it came down to um, errors, right? So if you, if you held onto the ball and um, you, you, you didn't give away penalties, you were able to pin teams in because of the, um, because of the kickoff. Right, and when and when you were able to pin him in for the kickoff, then you got the ball back and you got to attack. In the second half, I mean, I really thought that um, Toronto, you know, Taylor Adams and and, and Sam Malcolm and, and actually Detroit and I mean the Toronto in the backs, they're all multifaceted players, so their ability to um, kick to the corners, you know, Seattle have um, Brock Staller and um, CT. Um, Tamai Vina and Tamai Vina is a football player. He played like um, born in Fiji. Great story. Um, came, you know, came over. His dad played Fiji sevens. He played football and rugby growing up. Graduated high school, was playing rugby, and his mum was like, "You need to go back and play football and go and get your degree." Great athlete. We saw it in the second half with with a pick up and run that was really great. But his positioning wasn't great. Brock Stoller's positioning wasn't great. That left Matt Turner in the second half out to dry is the only person at the back and Toronto just like, you know, Turner was like pulled all over the place as they kicked to the corners. And, you know, I think on the call, Dan, you and I were both like telling Matt Turner, don't kick it away. But I think there were three chances he had to run it back, get it near the halfway and keep the ball in their hand. And he ended up kicking it and Toronto got the ball. were able to get into the um, uh, Seattle's half. Seattle gave away a penalty and Sam Mal Malcolm, Man, did he have kicking boots? He punished anything that Seattle gave away inside their half. So, so I felt like, you know, Toronto played very well. I don't feel like Seattle played very well, but you know, um, Shalom um, Suniula is probably their third, maybe even fourth fly half. They were trying to find something. Um, you know, they need they need one of their fly halves to come back. Um, JP Smith had a couple of kickoffs that. I think two went out and one went dead. I mean, at that point, you're just like, does anyone else, can anyone else drop kick? Is there anyone else that can drop kick it and keep it in? Right? Um, if you were just trying to do a little bit too much. So 
really they, they, they struggled a lot in the game generally in terms of game management. Um, but I think probably like, you know, um, uh, um, Stefan uh, Kutzia was is coming back from an injury. So he played 46 minutes. I think losing him was big. I think that really affected their lineouts and affected their, um, their defense. And so I think for the first time in Major League Rugby his- history, Seattle have the injury bug and they're really struggling with it. Yeah, you talked about number nines in San Diego. I mean, they're on their fourth number 10, uh, which right. is just crazy. And then, again, so fortunate to have someone like Shalom Sunyula, who is extremely versatile, and he can step in there. But to me, he's more valuable at 12 than 10. Right. Um, you got Reino Eckstein, who was hurt before the season. He should be fit shortly. Uh, ben Seema picked up a knock in the trial against uh, Tasman. You know, he'll be fit shortly. You've also got Harry Davies, who can kind of fill that utility role as well. Uh, he's got an injury. Ross Neal's got an injury. I mean, everything seems to be in the back line. I know uh, J.P. Peterson, Peterson, the big lock, he got an injury too against Old Glory. He'll be back next week. So, yeah, they've pretty much avoided that. I think Villy was their only major injury that uh, I think Ricard had some time off maybe. But overall, they've been pretty lucky, Pete. But now, boy... Not to make fun of Seattle, but when it rains, it pours. Well, yeah, it was you know it was it, it was one of those days that it it wasn't it wasn't like the weather wasn't great. I mean, it's Seattle in, in February, but I thought you know beyond just um, uh, like uh, managing territory, I you know we we know right then you know we ended up being on the flight with the arrows on the way back. We we know that that semi final loss where. Um, they didn't play well for the first 20 minutes, but weren't able to pull it back. That's something that stuck with them. They came out. And I think that what you saw was that the point of contact was Toronto's all night. And that point of contact is that when, you know, whether you take the ball in or whether you're, you're the defender, when you make that hit, you go forward. And I actually thought the Toronto defense was so strong. Like their tracking, which is the ability to kind of get your feet and shoulder in the right place, was great. And Seattle gave like, their tracking was poor. Like every time they made a tackle, they were catching. Every time they made a tackle, Toronto went forward and Seattle went back. That allowed, um, you know, uh, Toronto to be over the game line almost sixty percent of the time. And when you're on that front foot, that puts huge amounts of pressure on the defense. It makes the wings come up because they think you're going to move it wide, and it gives you the option to be able to kick. Well, let's talk about our player of the week. He's been dubbed Sammy the Boot, and he's not a mafia hitman, but I almost feel as though it's appropriate that Mark Winnicker, in his best quarterly owned voice, is like, eh, send him Sammy the Boot. I want Seattle to pay. <laughs> and then in went Sammy Malcolm, goes perfect nine from nine on the night and uh, had a couple of really key tackles as well. So let's welcome him to the show now. He's going to sit down with, uh, with the crew. Sam Malcolm from the Toronto Arrows. Welcome, Sam Malcolm of the Toronto Arrows and Major League Rugby's Player of the Week. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be on here. Yep. <laughs> so, Sam, uh, um, thanks for joining us on Major League Rugby Kickoff. Um, talk to us a little bit about your journey to the MLR. How did that happen? You were here last year with the Arrows for their first year, but how did you get connected with the Arrows and eventually moved to Toronto for Big League Rugby? Uh, yeah, so, so back in New Zealand, um, I played for a club known as the Mental Two Turbos and 
Uh, in an interview, my 2018 season, um, I sort of linked up with my agent and wanted to develop myself overseas. And my agent was lucky enough to to get on board with Mark Winokur, and we sort of spoke together. And um, I decided that I'd want to pursue a career over in, in Toronto. Um, so that was sort of how it sort of all came about. And um, tell me a little bit about what your first couple of months in Toronto were like. Was it pretty cold? Was it colder than you've ever been before? Yeah, it was, to be fair, it was pretty eye-opening. <laughs> um, yeah, back in New Zealand, uh, we think the winters are, are quite cold, but coming over here, it's it's a whole whole different level. I think at the moment we're in, a, in the middle of a, a snowstorm, so... Um, yeah, you get you get used to it after a while, but I mean, um, they're quite uh, they're quite tough and grueling. Yeah, when I think that when uh, we met up with you in Seattle last week, I think one of your guys was telling us it was only minus ten, and that minus ten is actually quite quite warm this time of year. So I know that Toronto has all those underground tunnels so you can get around downtown. It's definitely a, a different lifestyle in the winter. Yeah, um, that's for sure. And now, you know, you're, you're in the second year of Major League Rugby. You're someone that played high-level rugby in New Zealand. Give us a little bit of sort of your impressions. Where do you think Major League Rugby is doing well? And where do you think the game is going to develop? Yeah, I, th- I think this uh, this competition is, is definitely on the up. Um, I mean, compare it to last year, I think uh, the quality of, of rugby has definitely lifted. I mean, you've got a lot of players coming in um, that are developed players and, uh, you know, they're only lifting the standard of of rugby. So, I mean, it's only positive um, positive news for this competition. And, you know, I, I see it only, only getting better for the future. Um, and and, and you're, you're naturally, I think, a fly-half. You played fly-half last year with, um, with Adams joining this year. You're playing fullback. Is that a bit of an adjustment for you? Is it something that you enjoy? Um, or is it like one of those things where at some point you want to step back into the number 10 role? Yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed my time at fullback. Um, I was lucky enough to, to get an opportunity there a couple of years ago. Um, I'm, still, I'm still developing that position. Um, I've still got a lot of things to work on. Um, but I mean, I like the aspect that you get a lot of time there. Um, and, and coming from a team position, uh, you sort of have to have to make a lot of reactions on the spot. So, so being in that fifteen position, uh, you know, you can sort of read the plays um, and, and get a lot more time to, to make those decisions. So, I think it's helping helping me, and I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that spot. Yeah, I mean, at fullback, you've certainly had some opportunities. I think when you were in Vegas, you had some really great opportunities out wide. Right where you get to run in space and be a playmaker, trying to make that that scoring pass, and and you've got that you've got that burst that can get you through the hole, and um, you know into the second line of defence out there. So it must be nice, like when everything works, you've got that ball and you see space to use your footwork and your decision making. Yeah, I mean it's also a credit to to the guys inside me and, and the forward pack working uh, hard to get us over that gain line. Um, and it's just a matter of uh, of us feeding our uh, our fast wingers and uh, hopefully putting them in the corner for a try. Yeah, battle game. You know, this was a game. 
there was a rematch of the semi-final last year that Toronto didn't start well, but played well the rest of the game, but just sort of ran out of time. Did you guys talk about the semi-final during the week? Was that something that was in the back of the mind of the Toronto Arrow players? Um, to be fair, not really. I mean, you sort of have to um, have to flush those games. Um, we sort of learned from it last year. Uh, we always knew that Seattle was always going to be a tough opponent, uh, opponent away. Uh, in my opinion, they're the toughest opponent to play at their home ground. Um, so you have to be on your best game um, to get a, a good outcome there. And I thought that we stuck to our game plan relatively well and we got a positive result out of it. Yeah, you've got a, um, you know, you, you guys played some great territory with Seattle and pretty much if they gave away a penalty in their own half, you slaughtered it. Did you, when did you know that you were, like, switched on as a kicker? Is that something you know in the warm-up? Or, like, is it, is it something that it's just sort of um, kick by kick? Or you actually get that feeling that, you, like, you really can't do anything? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, really. Um, I mean, you know, as a kicker, there's days where um, you just you're just not on form and there's other days where um, you just feel like you, you can't miss it. And, but I mean, you just got to take every, every kick as, as a different kick. I mean, uh, just, just focus on your process and your, and your routine and um, just trust it. Trust that the ball's going to go through yeah, the and, stick and this place. Talk a bit about your like kicking during the week. Do you kick a lot? Is it something that, you know, you, 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 you know, it's about like the, uh, um, the quality, not not the quantity. Do you kick early in the week, late in the week? What's your kicking um, process through the week to prepare you to have such a good kicking game? Yeah, so I, I try to go for quantity. I mean, sorry, quality, not quantity. Um, I try to get in about two kicking sessions a week, uh, two to three. Um, and so where we train, um, we train in domes. Uh, so we don't have the... Um, we don't have any goalposts, so I've just been basically just lining up against a um, a wall um, with a with a basically a line. So uh, I'm pretty much aiming at that. Uh, my philosophy is that if you're aiming at a small target, then um, you're gonna you're gonna miss small. So when it comes to the actual game, um, you know those posts sort of look like big targets to you. So you know, um, you guys are coming up. Um, against Atlanta this weekend. What's your prep been like, and what's your, um, you know, what do you think about Atlanta? Have you had a chance to look at them yet? And um, you know, what do you think you're going to face down, um, down with the uh, um, Atlanta with uh, sorry rugby ATL? Yeah, so we've had a bit of a chance to look at them. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that um, play. A, quite a good tempo um, so as a, as a defensive unit we've got to make sure that we're on our game um, making sure that we're folding around quick and just filling in our spaces um, they've also got quite a good kicking game uh, with, their, with their 10 and their, and their fullback so um, you know we're just going to have to make sure that uh, our counter attack and um, our ability to to get back into to structure uh, from, from a kick is going to going to be on point um, to have to have some good outcomes against Atlanta. And you're probably going to have to do some work to cover ground because Kirk Coleman at 10 
bring some real experience from that game management. And, and as you've experienced, I think now, like two or three weekends in a row, you've played on turf. And that turf, that ball can bounce all over the place. So it takes a lot of work rate for the back three to cover that. Um, is that something you're able to practice that much in a dome? Is the dome big enough that you could actually sort of practice your, your counterattacks? Or is it really just sort of the mental prep that can get you there? Um, yeah, I mean, the dome's, uh, dome's big enough. Um, we, we definitely do do practice that at training. Um, and we've got a few strategies up our sleeve to to combat his kicking game. So uh, hopefully uh, it comes off on uh, on Sunday. Well, we won't ask you to give away um, those strategies, but it's certainly one of the matchups I'm looking um, I'm, I'm really looking closely at. I think um, Rugby ATL is going to be one of those teams that's vying for a playoff spot. And of course, you guys um, are at the top of the East and, and look to be the favourites to get that number one seed. But let's, let's turn it to your team and, and, and your teammates. So, yeah, this is a question that we ask all our players of the week. So who's the, who's the funny guy on the arrows? Who's, who's the, the joker, the guy that gets everyone laughing, but, you know, maybe when they shouldn't be laughing? Um, I'd have to probably go for a, a guy called Spencer Jones. Um, he's, a, he's a bit of a laugh, and uh, if the boys are feeling a wee bit down, he's uh, one to sort of lift the spirits up. Uh, at the moment, he's he's injured, so he's having a bit of a tough time. But he's uh, he's doing well to to keep the boys entertained and uh, keep the keep the morale high. All right, and then um, who who's a player that you you know that you want to take a five hour road trip with, and who's the player that you don't want to take a five hour road trip with? Oh, Jesus! <laughs> well, <I'm not> <laughs> um. Who I wouldn't like to take a five-hour road trip with? Um, well, well, well. Who who would you? Let's do the easy, easier one first. Who would you like to go um, on a five uh, five-hour road trip with? And you can tell us why. You can tell us who you would, but you don't have to tell us why. Just give us the name. Well, so I'm actually going on a. Uh, I'm actually going on a bit of a road trip with uh, Andrew Ferguson and Giuseppe Dutois in our bye week. So I'd probably have to uh, to say those two at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, and and who wouldn't you? Oh, jeez, put him on the spot. Yeah, um, no, I'd, I'd take, I'd take, uh, take anyone. I, uh, I would not take. Oh, no oh. and he's such, you know, you're such a good decision maker on the pitch, Sam. And and here you go, and and uh, you know, I think I think this is the sort of kick into touch option as opposed to running it. Well, Sam, thank <laughs> you so much for your time. I know it's late right now over in Toronto. Um, we appreciate you staying up late um, and we look forward to seeing you play this way weekend um, down in Atlanta and also um, looking looking uh, forward to seeing you kick points for the rest of the season. No, thank you very much, Pete. Um, you know, I appreciate all the promotion work that you do for the MLR and I'm only looking forward to the rest of the season ahead. There we have it. Sammy Malcolm, the fullback for the Toronto Arrows. And I get the feeling, Pete, may not be the last time we hear his name this year. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was really impressive. You know, I, I chatted to him a little bit after the game. Um, and, you know, I asked him about playing fullback. And I think that he feels more natural as a 10. But, man, when he gets into space, we didn't see it much in this game, but we saw it in the first two games with um, Adams able to move that ball, with um, Lesage and, and Detroit able to also with good handlers. They can get Malcolm in space, and his playmaking out wide 
is is awesome. So, um, like you know, he's he's good under the high ball. Like you said, he made some good tackles. He's a really really talented player. Yeah, he is, and and like you said, there's a lot of good performances. That forward pack was outstanding. But uh, um, I'm, I'm going to make a call out to to Lucas oh, Rob. I, I yeah. just think this guy is he's a he's a stud. I mean, you know, he's 24. I think he's got 31 caps for Canada. I mean, it, 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 one of the really, really interesting things about this game was the number of matchups that there were between Canadians. You know, there was Ilniki and Cole, and I thought a really interesting matchup was um, Nakai Penny and Lucas Rumble. And I thought Penny, Penny did well, but Rumble's just like, I think he won that battle for the game. I agree. And Kingsley Jones was there. You could see he was pretty excited. Uh, I had a quick chat to him after the game upward, uh, upstairs and pretty happy with uh, what he got to see. Both uh, both sides pretty littered with Canadians, obviously Toronto, very heavy. But a uh, good little look for him as a, he looks forward to uh, some summer tests in the ARC for Canada. All right, Pete, let's jump into this weekend's game. We've got a, another full slate, six games this weekend all over the country. We'll kick things off at Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern. It's San Diego on the road down in New Orleans at the, uh, the gold mine on the Shrine. Or the gold mine on airline. I'm not sure. It's a gold mine on airline. That's what it is. All right. That's what it is, I think. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right. San Diego, Nola Gold. This is a good one, Pete. Who you got? Oh, I, I mean, I, I love Nola. Um, I don't think they've played the last two weeks. Sandy, you know, is this the game that Joe Peterson gets to play? Well, it is uh, Tuesday night, so I have no idea. Right. I mean, I think that, that that tells you something about San Diego when, you know, one of their best players from last year hasn't even appeared yet. I think it's a great test for Nola. Um, and so I think that it's going to be, and I think Nola will respond. They've had a ton of injuries, particularly in the backs. It's made it very difficult for them. Um, this, I wonder if this is the game that, that um, JP Elof is back. I mean, you know, I think when we were there, they were talking about a couple more weeks. That would be a big boost for them. That would allow them to um, get Maya up into the centers. That would be a nice matchup. Um, Elof and Feeks are available. What do you say? Elof and Feeks are both available this week. Well, that's going to help them, and they're going to they're going to need all of that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Dottie can play. Um, they've had some they've had some um, injuries there, but. I, I mean, I think I'm going to have to go with San Diego. It's a great field down there. It's going to, I think, be, I think it's going to be a fast game if the weather holds up. Um, I think I'm going to go with um, San Diego 35, Nola Gold 30. Mm. We'll see. We'll see how they travel down there. For, is this their first road? I oh, know they're in Vegas, so I guess that that's kind of a road game. Oh, Pete, 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 going for San Diego on the road down there. You know, I don't think. Uh, Big Lou Stanfield's going to play, so they lose a bit of experience and a bit of toughness on the bench. Do it. Do it. Stop. Like, 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 I don't think San Diego are going to go through the season undefeated. You're the friend that my parents warned me about. Like, and then, and then, just do it. Know, Jump off the bridge. You can like, make it. Like, you know, they've, they've got a good team. You should do it. Fine, I'll do it. I'll go for New Orleans on the road over San Diego. 32-30. In an absolute cliffhanger. That, that, that'll be a good game. All right. All right let's know who I'm going in this one. So game two, also Saturday at 4 p.m. It's Old Glory on the road against my Gil Gronies, the men in burnt orange, Texas's favorite team. I'm sorry, Houston, I didn't mean that. But I'm going for the Gil Gronies over Old Glory. 
Whopper McIntosh. He's just going to fold the beast in half. It's going to be a great game. We're going to go one better. We're going to win 21-20. We're going to go one point better this week. I think I think that Austin is getting better. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've, DC have struggled in the scrum. Um, they've been able to, to deal with it. Um, I think they'll struggle again. Like Austin had, um, uh, was it McKenzie that they picked up? Who's the... Yeah, Macintosh. Mac oh, so Macintosh, that's right. Um, and I think that that made made a difference. But I think Old Old Glory have a still have a little bit that their halfbacks I think are stronger. Um, we still do, do we have a ten for um, for Austin yet? I don't know. So right, Kurt Morath was announced, right? So if Kurt Morath's there, I think that's a big plus for Austin. But I'm going to go on the assumption that they don't have him there, and it's Tori Alba and. Uh, um, Elan Paddock at nine ten, and I think with that halfback pairing, I'm going to go with um, Old Glory. Okay, we're different on two so far. This is great. All right, game three of the weekend is Saturday at six p.m. Eastern. It's Utah at Colorado, so Rocky Mountain Showdown coming up for all the fans out here in the Rocky Mountain states. Yo, who's up on this one? You're up on this one. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about it before. It's very hard to go to Colorado and win. Um, I think I'm actually calling that game, um, planning to take um, Penelope um, down to, uh, to Glendale for the Colorado game. It's a great setup there. It's a, it's nice timing. It's going to be 4 p.m. on Saturday. Um, you know, not, not very far for Utah. So, and, and the, and the, um, the uh, altitude isn't as big for them. This is another great game. I mean, it's going to be really close, but... I think um, I think the Raptors are due for their win, and I think um, Utah are, are due for their disappointment after a good performance last week. So they drew with Austin last week. Yeah, but it's a better Austin team. Like yeah, this is true. the Austin team from last year. This, this is a good Austin team. Like no one's no one's making fun of you now because you 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 know because you're a Gilgroniak and you chose Austin. Like that's a toss up with Old Glory that have won two games. Yeah, Austin's a good team. Utah's a good team. Colorado's a good team. These are all good teams that are all in um, like struggling, right? Or, or, or struggling for consistency. So I'm going to go with Colorado. Um, I think it's going to be 22-20. 22-20, and you're calling that game, so you probably shouldn't have made your pick. Uh, Warriors, <laughs> Pete's address is 317. And oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I will go, I'll go against you again. I'll go the Warriors. Um, yeah, this is awesome. I just... I think the Warriors are training in the right direction. I don't know. We'll see. That, that will be a close game. It's a toss of a coin. But uh, the Warriors, altitude not as big as an effect. And I think Chris Latham would be pretty disappointed with how they played against Austin down there. I think they're a better side than they showed, as well as Austin did play. So I'll go 22-20 for the Warriors in this one, though. All right. So this next one I'm calling, so I can't make my pick. It's New England at Seattle on Fox Sports 2. And this is Saturday night at 10 Eastern. So you're going to have to get a cup of coffee for this one if you're on the East Coast. So this is, I mean, a lot of this for me is going to be about um, Seattle and how healthy they are. But I want to, I want to call someone out in the Free Jacks, and that's um, Timothy uh, Geeman, right? So this is a guy... Um, you know, played for Austin, right, in year one um, as, a, as a fly half, um, struggled a little bit, um, and uh, ended up going to New England. Um, Ty, Ty Glieder was going to be the fly half. He got injured. When you, when you heard that, you were like, hmm, 
how are they going to handle handle it? But Geeman's handled it great. I mean, he's played really, really well for them at 10. It's been a big benefit for them. But I think Seattle, I think they're going to, you know, it's it, they've got such a good pack. Um, they've got, I think, you know, JP Smith is a great nine. They've got to work out what they're going to do at 10. And, you know, you can go with um, Sinula, but then you have to change the way that you want to play. Um, maybe they've got some players that come back. I think it's a tough, it's a long way for New England to go. Although I think they may have actually stayed out on the West Coast after their game in San Diego. So maybe that travel won't be as hard um, and they'd have spent some time together. I think this is another toss-up. It wouldn't surprise me if New England wins, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose Seattle. I think it's going to be a bit of a forward battle. And I'm going to say Seattle 25, um, New England 19. Yeah, I'm not calling it because I'm calling it. So, man, if Seattle go 0-4, though. Oof. Yep. Oof. That'll be a good game. Saturday night. Moving on to Sunday. 3 p.m. Eastern. Toronto on the road against Atlanta. So, ESPN Plus down here. TSN up in the Great White North. Uh, I deferred on the last one, so I'll jump on this one. Uh, man, uh, can't go against Toronto. <laughs> can you can you can you bet against them at the moment so, so i i think i think that if i looked at this i would say you know toronto are the favorites i mean i think they've got a game that is um that's almost complete if you said to me what is what does toronto miss i think they miss some bruises right they miss some guys big guys that can punch holes both in the backs like their backs are great rugby players but they haven't got the big guy that big guy that can really punch the hole, and also in their forwards. So, if Atlanta get their defense right, I think that Toronto might have some problems against them. But I think that Toronto have more depth. I think that you know Atlanta didn't play a couple of players. Remember they they rotated, so it's going to be interesting to see um, what Atlanta comes out. But you know it's hard for me to pick against Scott Lawrence. Like that guy is so smart. He ha- he'll have something in store for Toronto that they haven't seen yet. That's the one thing that I can guarantee in this game. But I'm with you. I don't think we can pick against Toronto, but I think Atlanta are going to make this a game. He's going to have real rattlesnakes around the field and then not tell Toronto. Yeah. No, no snakes in Canada. I'm sure there is, but oh well. All right. And then the last one we're both calling CBS Game of the Week. It is New York at Houston. So that one will be at 7 o'clock Eastern prime time on a Sunday night. What are we competing against on uh, the rest? Is it, is it Oscars or something? Because usually we run into some huge television event that takes all our ratings away, Pete. Anyway, yeah, I, I mean, this, is, this will be a really interesting game for me. I mean, I think that um, it, it'll be a real test for Houston playing at home against the team that's coming up. You know, they added Hewitt. You know, they added Hunko, who came off the bench. My guess is that, you know, he'll be starting and him and Denise make a pretty interesting back row partnership. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, um, uh, Cahill Marsh is going to be, is going to have a good game. You know, Bastero at eight. I mean, it looks like Greg McWilliams has kind of worked out what he thinks his best team is. And so, you know, it's going to be a great test for Houston to see what they can do against this New York team at home. I think it's going to be another good game. I mean, I love all of these in the sense that, you know, we, you, can pick e- you can make an argument for either side. The competition in 
major league rugby is the most important thing for the game to grow. And, um, and that's what we have. It's great. Have you called a game at Aviva yet? Um, I have. Yeah. I called, I think I may have called one of their first games. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I'm excited to see it on a, on a Sunday night as well. I'm sure it's going to be just, the crowd looked a lot better than opening weekend last week. And I think maybe they had a lot of competition. I think the UFC was in Houston an XFL game was in Houston and there was something else going on that weekend too. Uh, i trying to remember what it was. But there was a lot of reasons for, obviously, the crowd in week one. But week two, it looked a lot healthier down there. And I think they found their slot, like those night games, similar to Seattle, right? They kind of adopted the night game and it becomes a, an event. Right. Houston looking to do the same there and the crowd looked healthy. So hopefully a big one uh, for this one. Another cross-conference game in the West boy do they need some wins against the east so that wraps it up pete we'll have to make our picks offline and then uh do we have the running tally aaron how far behind am i i went three and three again i'm like consistently bad well i mean i keep draws as a tie if you both pick the team wrong um so uh, we're at you're just one behind right now how is that possible i mean i mean i feel like i need to go back and do the count i'm gonna well, you so so. Here's the big count that that screwed up is uh, Pete picked Houston, and you 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 went the wager on on Old Glory, and then you both picked Atlanta. Um, right. <laughs> so I thought Pete picked New York. No, no, he, I didn't, he I is didn't, Atlanta minus he had Atlanta I minus was, four. I wasn't going to say anything when you said that, Dan, because I thought, <laughs> but I was pretty certain I picked Atlanta. Oh, wow. we're in trouble. I just checked the TV schedule, Pete. Sunday night, Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby is on. Uh, so oof. <laughs> we're going to have to really bring our A game, mate, to compete with that. Do have if you're a review, first, you're last. What was that? We got a review. Whoa. Whoa. Read it out, mate. Read it out. I want to hear so it. So this was like yesterday from Bocon5858. Five stars. Oh, wait, 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 Dan, do you know him? Hang on. What was it again? Bocon. Bocon. It's Luke Bochamp from Houston. Just kidding, Luke. I don't know. If it's <laughs> uh, best pod to keep up with MLR news, five stars. Great podcast to keep up with the latest MLR news and weekly game picks. Go Jacks. So, Free Jacks. I think go. we both picked against your team. So thanks for the five-star review. Probably wouldn't get it next week. All right, Pete, anything else you want to add? Likes, oh, um, but it, um, we, we, we always love everyone else to um, rate and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. That helps other people find it and spreads the news about Major League Rugby. And both Dan and I have um, two games. So I'm in Colorado on Saturday. Dan's in Seattle. Um, we're both in Houston on Sunday. If you see us, um, we're often wandering around the field trying to, like, um, you know, catch some stories before the game. So if you see us, please come up and say hi. Let us know that you're a listener. Yep, Pete loves photos and hugs, so give him a hug and take a photo. He like, <laughs> like a good Englishman that I am, right? Yes. All right, that one wraps it up. I'm Dan Powell, Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, our producer, and uh, everyone at Major League Rugby. We love you all. This is the MLR Kickoff Podcast. Until next time.